Father, this evening we just thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the blood of your Son that made it possible that we could all become your children. Blood-washed, spirit-born children of the living God. We thank you, we thank you, Father. We have once again come together in your name, believing and knowing you will speak to us as the Father speaks to his children. Touch our ears. Help us to hear. Help us to believe. Strengthen us to obey. Let us not to be strong men and women with weak wills. Help us to be weak men and women before you with strong wills to obey you, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you were there last week, uh, last Wednesday, it's dangerous to look directly into my eyes because I will ask you last Wednesday, what did we hear about? We heard about the Canaanite woman, remember? We see her both in the Gospel according to Matthew and in Mark. And the question we asked is, yes, crumbs. Can we persist in faith? Will we persist in faith? God will allow many kind of tests in our life because it is, like they say in English, it is the these tests that separate the boys from the men. And one of the ways in which God tests is, will we let offense stop us from pursuing God? Stop us from fulfilling our destiny? The first step God takes Unless the father draws, no man can come to him. But after that, scripture is very clear to all of us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Then when James explains, you will see in the way he draws near, it can be a little, quite a bit of offense. Will we be satisfied or accept even if it is crumbs that is being offered? We want full loaves. What about crumbs? So what separates great faith from ordinary faith? One of the things we learned last Wednesday is great faith does not get offended. It looks past the offense and keeps its eyes on the prize. Tonight we will look at another of Jesus' encounters. This time with the Blind man. Couple of encounters if you have time. In the Gospels, if I am right, Jesus encounters seven blind men. That is perfect blindness. Seven blind men. But if you study carefully, each one of them is healed differently. The pattern is not the same. 
what god is telling is our god is a god of variety we would like to put him in a box but he doesn't save there stay there he rarely saves two people the same way if you actually were to share your testimonies you will see that god touched you all in different ways it rarely i mean if everyone were to read the book of acts and see how saul of tarsus was saved and says i only believe in that one way then you can't even go to damascus now it's practically half the city has been bombed out so don't put god in a box how he works in individual lives leave it to him Tonight we'll turn to Mark chapter 8 from verse 22 to 26 five verses here Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him he asked him if he saw anything He looked up and said I see men like trees walking Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and so everyone clearly So if you go yeah verse 26 I didn't read 26 right then he sent him to his house saying neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town So we'll see in verse 22 this happened at a place called Bethsaida And we see the names are not given but a set of people they who are it is brought him a blind man to jesus and they begged him to touch him understand that that's all we can do and that is what we must do we can only bring people to jesus we cannot heal them we cannot deliver them we cannot save them we cannot do anything only he can we bring people to jesus and we beg we intercede and say lord just touch them but look beyond the healing look here we will see a healing takes place and often we are very physical beings and god did not make us just as physical beings but because being very physical being we get obsessed with the physical healing that take place but the gospel according to john tells us that every miracle he he recounts in the gospel according to john only eight miracles but calls them signs so every miracle is a sign and we have to go beyond the healing to see what is god trying to tell us here what is he trying to teach us here because every physical healing is a sign of a spiritual reality you see before we all i kind of came to christ or just came to christ when we were studying literature they used to teach us about aristotle and plato and all and they used to talk about this is not real they said this is only this table is the only an image of a reality that exists outside our understanding everything that we see here is only a shadow the reality exists somewhere else which is true when god tells moses to make a tabernacle he tells him be very careful 
that you obey the specifics I am giving you because it was only a shadow image of what actually exists in heaven. Okay? So we live in the physical reality, but that physical reality will not be a physical reality if you don't have a corresponding spiritual reality in the spiritual realm. So don't get obsessed with the spiritual reality. Try to learn what is God trying to tell here about us because Lazarus came out of the grave, but he died. You can get healed, still fall sick, and die. But the lesson you learn, the spiritual lesson you learn, you can carry it through life into eternity. Therefore, all physical healings are signs of a spiritual reality or the lessons behind it. People are spiritually blind, Deaf, mute, and lame. And the proclamation, the first proclamation of Jesus in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 is, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. When he makes this proclamation, he was not just talking about the physical part. Not just, though this will happen, many blind, seven blind men will recover their sight, many will mute, will speak, many deaf will hear, but that was only a physical manifestation of a reality, of a spiritual truth that will take place, that people are actually blind, people are actually deaf, people actually cannot talk, people actually cannot walk. It's a proclamation of a spiritual reality. Even the smartest man on earth, the most educated, one of the smartest they talk about who passed away last week or the week before that, can only speak from his soul. Spiritual things are hidden from him. Richard Dawkins said, God is dead. And God said, he is dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is how Paul, who an intellectual, who saw through his soul, when his eyes are open, this is how he says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. What is he saying? He's saying, we saw through the spirit. And what we speak are spiritual realities, not just physical realities. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. When you need to sit and meditate upon these verses. You know, three people can read the same picture, portion of scripture. 
one can go completely one tangent in the flesh another can go in another tangent in the soul and the third it can go in the spirit the same scripture because every scripture can be read at different levels but scripture says unless the spirit we have received his spirit and the spirit opens our eyes we will not understand the spiritual reality of what god is trying to speak to us because god is a spirit and remember jesus told the samaritan woman god is seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth we will see in this miracle which we see in mark 8 jesus touches this man three times the fact is that we all need these three touches from christ there are actually three anointings available one is available in the outer courts one is available in the holy place and one is available in the most holy place first touch the first awareness of salvation okay first awareness of salvation is the awareness of our blindness i cannot receive sight unless first i acknowledge i am blind okay i can never receive sight unless first i am aware of my blindness you can never receive knowledge unless you first acknowledge your ignorance and that was the issue with the pharisees nicodemus was troubled after his encounter with jesus he was an incredibly educated man in the scriptures but once he encountered jesus he encountered his own blindness he realized i thought so far i thought i saw once i see this man and i hear his speak i hear him teach and i watch him and watch his life i think i am blind this man was blind and was brought to jesus he said every man every woman every child has to be brought to jesus that's the purpose of ministry to bring people to jesus to point people to jesus but remember only he can lead and he will only lead those who acknowledge their blindness who are aware of their blindness there is a crowd over there and one set in that crowd brought a blind man to jesus and the fact is that he takes that blind man alone by hand and leads him you want to be led by jesus you need to be acknowledge his blindness if you don't acknowledge your blindness to jesus he cannot lead us in verse 23 the first thing jesus does is interesting the first thing jesus does is takes him by hand the blind man and leads him away from the people who thought they could see he leads him out of the town okay 
He touches him. If you look at it, he touches him three times. First touch, he takes him by hand. Second touch, he will spit and touch his eyes. Third, he will again touch his eyes. The first touch of God is the touch of the Holy Spirit. Is the touch of conviction. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. That's the first touch. When the Holy Spirit comes, when Jesus touches us, we are aware of one fact. I am blind. When the Holy Spirit touches us, we have three choices. We can be bad, we can be mad, or we can be glad. Okay, you will see this is a three way people respond to the touch of Jesus. There is a separation between light and darkness. Belief and unbelief. First touch takes him by hand and separates him from unbelief. From darkness. We look at the physical reality and says, this guy is blind. These people can see. Jesus said, no. They can't see. He's going to see. Let me separate the light from the darkness. The first act of creation in Genesis chapter 1. The first act of creation is God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light. It was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God will always divide light from darkness, separate light from darkness. In John chapter 9, in an instance with the another blind man, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. That's exactly what happened that day in Bethsheda. Who did not see, he said, I am blind. Jesus said, you will see. The other said, we can see. Jesus said, you will be blind. Those who do not see may see, and those who see may be blind. And some of the Pharisees who were there with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you are blind, you would not have, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Now, if you're a classroom teacher, whom would you help? The child who says, I don't know, or the fellow who says, I know. Those who brought him thought he was blind and they could see. But spiritually speaking, Jesus separates them. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. We love all that. We love adjectives. We love it. Oh my gosh, I'm a peculiar. People say they're only peculiar in church. But when they go to office, they don't want to be peculiar. When they go to universities and colleges, they don't want to be peculiar. They want to be part of the crowd. Peculiar, special, holy nation, priesthood, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Only those who have come out of darkness into his light will realize, I am a 
peculiar person. Why? Have come out of darkness into light. Paul in his defense before King Agrippa will say, this is what Jesus told me. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now sent you. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Now you see, he expands it even more. The physical healing here denotes much, something much bigger. We move from Darkness to light from the power of Satan to the power of God. We are translated from one kingdom to another kingdom. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. So everything is put over there. So let me tell you, if you do not know, acknowledge you are a sinner, do you receive forgiveness? If you don't acknowledge you are bad, can he make you good? If you don't acknowledge, if I don't acknowledge I am blind, can he give me sight? If I don't acknowledge the influence or the power of darkness over my life, can he translate me into the power of God's kingdom? That is the first step. Will we let Jesus lead us from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light? Pharisees were mad. And Stephen, remember when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the people were cut to the heart. Why? The word like a sword went in and showed the darkness in them and they were cut to the heart and cried, what should we do? When Stephen's preached to the Sanhedrin, they were also cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth and they were so mad. One was broken, they became glad. One was mad. You know what Jesus had told to Nicodemus? Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love, they like being bad. Some are mad, some are glad, some like being bad. Rather than light, because their deeds were Evil bad for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done. So God says, when people are bad and they like being bad, they hate the light. They don't like the light. That's why Cockroaches thrive in the dark. So after he leads him away from the crowd, he deals with him personally. Jesus deals. So if you go through the gospels, that's what we love about Jesus. Jesus may minister to a crowd, but deals with individuals. Always deals with individuals. Everywhere. That's why you will see names popping up. Zacchaeus come down. Bartimaeus he will stop and says, what do you want? Everywhere, Samaritan woman, all through the Bibles, individuals. You will never see Jesus doing mass healing. Individuals. There. He deals with him personally. 
What is he trying to say? He's trying to tell us, God will deal with all of us personally. Yes, we come as a group. We worship as a group. We pray as a group. We study the word of as a group. But Jesus deals with each one of you personally. Do not be satisfied with the crowd. Yes, I went to church. Yes, I worshipped on Sunday. Yes, I took the notes. Yes, I was there on Wednesday. Yes, I was there on fasting and prayer. That's all fine. But that's not salvation. Salvation is when God deals with us personally, one-on-one. God always deals with people one-on-one. The reason is, Christianity is an individual choice. So many think they are Christians because they were born in Christian families. Like Jews thought they were Jews because they were born in the Jewish family. But Paul will say in Romans 2, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, Romans 2. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is from men. From Outwardly every Jew will look the same. But he says that doesn't make you a Jew. What makes you a Jew is who has been touched individually by the spirit. The same way, doesn't matter whether you are born in a Christian family. It makes no difference. You have to be born again individually by the Spirit. Hepsiba, if you are born in an airport, that doesn't make you an airplane? No? Peter, if you are born in a railway station, do you become a train? No. God says if you are born in a Christian family, it doesn't make you a Christian. God has only children and no grandchildren. When you reach heaven, all our brothers, all our sisters, no great-grandfather, grandfather, nothing. Everyone must be born again to be a child of God. That is the second touch. That is his second touch. In verse 23 and 24, So he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. First the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts us of sin. Then he points us to the righteousness that is available in Christ Jesus. And we need to make a choice. Spiritual rebirth is not forced on anybody. We are shown our real state. This is what you are. This is what Christ is. This is who you are. This is who he is. You can choose to be like him. It's free, but you have to choose. He spits into his hands and touches his eyes. Do you see? And he looked up and said, I see. Men walking like trees. One moment he was in darkness. The next moment he was in light. It happens instantaneously. You may not be able, I cannot remember, but I can tell you 1984, last week of October. The exact day, I'm not sure. But I know. You know. Let me ask you. How many of you fell asleep last night? Or this morning, whenever? 
Do you remember, unless your alarm rang or you looked at the clock, do you remember the exact moment when you woke up? Most of us don't, right? But you know you woke up. In an instant, you move from darkness to light, right? And you know. Does anybody have to tell you, Hepsi, why you are awake? You will know when you are born again. You know. You cannot explain it. You know you have crossed from death to life. You know. It is not connected with your baptism. It is not connected with anything you have gone through. You know I have crossed from death to life. You know. Because you see, you perceive something which you never pursued before. You know, spiritually, your eyes have started seeing the light of God, which you never saw before. This is not knowledge. This is not wisdom. This is none of those things. You know, you have broken through. You know, the kingdom of God is real. That's what God told Nicodemus. When you are born again, you will see the kingdom of God. You will enter the kingdom of God. He says, says, how is that possible? He couldn't understand. With all his biblical knowledge, he couldn't understand. Jesus says, it's like the wind. Does anybody know where the wind comes from? But do you know there is wind? How do you know wind? You can see the curtain moving and you know, ah, there is wind. You can't see the wind. You can only know the wind by the effect it causes. Nobody sees the wind. You see the wind by what it causes. He says that's the same way when you're born from heaven. You don't see, but you know it has done something to you. You know you have passed from light, darkness to light, from death to life. You know. That's the touch. Nobody has to convince you again. Nobody has to convince you again. But salvation is like that. You believed and you passed from death. And you cannot explain it. You can only explain it in terms of light. I was blind. I see. I was blind. This is, this is again the issue with every, this progression in the, it, it's a progression in light at every stage. There is, okay? Okay, I got saved. Then I argued for many years, you know, what's the point in getting baptized? I was baptized when I was small, blah, blah, blah. Then day when I was convicted, the Lord said, go get baptized. Okay? Then when I got baptized and came out, it was different. Now, so many times I've gone in all kinds of water, river, sea, swimming pool, everything, but this was different. Now, how do I explain it? It is something that is spiritual. Then I fought, fought about this baptism of the Holy Spirit with those who were baptized and say, no, it is this, it is this, it is that, it is that, it is that. Then, this call for ministry came. Then I said, Lord, I look into the Bible, New Covenant, I see everyone who was called into ministry was baptized in the Holy Spirit. If it is real, then baptize me before I step into ministry. On the day I step into ministry, he filled me with the Holy Spirit right at the podium. Now, how do I explain now? It is different. All my arguments before that, I was standing in darkness and contending with light. And I'm saying there is nothing like light. When you step into light, you have no arguments. Through life, you will see there is a progression. Onward, onward. God is 
light. He dwells in unapproachable light. The journey of salvation is a journey towards light. Okay? So, there is so much to cover. We haven't reached anywhere yet. All of eternity we will be journeying. That's what, this is here in terms of salvation, what is happening. He uses a simple metaphor, says, can you see? He says, I see. I see. One man of God said it this way. If the three different blind men among the seven were to sit together and discuss how they got their sight, one would say, Jesus touched me once. That's how you get your sight. The second will say, no, 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 you are wrong. Jesus touched me twice. That's how you get your sight. The third will say, no, 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 that's not how. Jesus spat into the mud, made a paste, put it in my eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And that's how I got. And the three would start fighting. If they continue fighting like we do today, in 21st century Christianity, we would have three denominations. One called the One Touch Church. The second called the Second Touch Church. And the third called the Spit in the Eye Church. (laughs) We fight about spiritual realities using physical experiences. In verse 24, he says, I see men like trees walking. Okay. But you see. So stage one, first touch is conviction. Second touch is what we call conversion. You have moved from light to darkness. You see. You see. When he took him by hand, he did not see. He did not see. But there is a conviction between light and darkness. Between unbelief and believe. There is a conviction because you are being separated and you are being shown these two realities. Second, when conversion takes place, you see. You see. Then, what does scripture say? I see men like trees walking. When we come into salvation initial years, we only see the big picture. What if he had gone with it? His sight was there. Yet it was not complete. Do men look like trees? Hmm? Trees? Yes, from blindness to sight, darkness to light is good. But men look like trees. What would, what does that mean? It means our judgments would be faulty. They are not accurate. If this man were to fight with somebody who's got perfect sight, the man says, how tall is, how tall is your brother? My brother is only five feet. No, it can't be. All men are like trees. Our sight, though we have received sight, we don't grow in our salvation. Our sight is faulty. That's why the instruction is given in ministry. In First Timothy chapter 3. Not a novice, meaning a new believer. Less being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Can I have an IV over there? It's easier to understand. No, He says, when you pick somebody for ministry, somebody who is expounding the word, somebody who is teaching from scripture, he must not be a recent 
Somebody whose eyes is opened recently, who is still seeing men as trees. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. This is not talking about youth. In the same letter Paul will tell Timothy, this is nothing got to do with age. It's got to do with spiritual maturity, how you actually see spiritual reality. He says, anybody who is in ministry, who especially preaches the word of God, has to be somebody whose eyes have been opened, who understand the spiritual reality that is there in scripture. Otherwise, what will happen, he will get conceited. Because he sees everything like trees. And he misses the details of what God is trying to say. That is why teaching ministry, preaching ministry is a very dangerous ministry. In 1 Corinthians, we read that earlier, chapter 2 verse 15 says, He who is spiritual judges all things. He is able to see through stuff which others are not able to see because he is not seeing people as trees or events as trees. He is able to see the fine details. That's the whole thing. If we don't grow in our salvation, we grow in the light, we'll only see big, big pictures. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we reveal ourselves. What's one of the problems with social media? And when you have a group, As long as it is social things and all, it is fine. But when somebody tries to put across a spiritual thing, you immediately see where they are. Immediately see where they are. I mean, it's fine. As long as they are growing and fine. But immediately you see. Even the people you read, the people you recommend, Chose. Now, this is not to discourage. What I am saying is, keep growing. Read those people and all. Keep on growing. Keep on growing. But don't stay with them. Keep on growing. Then, verse 25 will show us the third touch. He put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up. That's the third touch. When the third touch comes, you will, he will cause you to look up. God will cause you to look up. Jesus made him look up. The third touch is not the touch of conviction. It is not the touch of conversion. This is a touch that should continue in the life of a believer. It is the touch of correction. There is so much to the walk of faith other than conversion. It is the touch of correction. That's why we gather as often as possible to the study of the word of God. Not to gather knowledge, but to be constantly be corrected by the Spirit of God. In Psalm 190 and verse 130, the man of God says, The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The entrance of your word. That's the difference. You need to realize the word of God has to bring light. It has to bring correction. Our vision has to be corrected. Every year I and my wife go to the ophthalmologist and he will check and he will see if our power has to change or not. Right? You don't go with the same pair of glasses which you had five years ago because every time you go he will check and says, no, 
your vision has to be corrected. And each time you get the first pair, new pair of glasses, you see, huh, last week I thought I could see, but now I can see even more clearer. We need correction constantly, constant correction, because the entrance of his word brings light. The devil brings blindness. Christ brings sight. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. So believing is a constant process. If you don't believe at all, our eyes are blinded. And after seeing, if we don't progress in our belief, and we don't receive correction, then we'll always see things as true. We will not see the spiritual realities behind the symbols in the Bible, what Jesus was actually doing and what God is trying to say. That's why scripture says the word of God is living. What is the word of God? How can a set of scriptures which was written, the youngest of the letters is at least 2000 years old, be living? How can it be living? Unless it is spiritual. Unless it is spiritual. Otherwise then, this is just a mantra. This is not a mantra. Here God really speaks. It's living. It is real. The more we come for the third touch, we see life clearly. We see men clearly. We see people clearly. Because we are taking correction. We receive correction and we look up. You see, Peter had flashes of revelation when Jesus was walking with him. Who are you? You are the son of God. Peter, that's the revelation straight from heaven. You had a flash. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Second minute, revert back to flesh. You should not. Took Jesus aside and rebuked him. You see, how quickly he went from spirit, not to the soul, to the flesh. No. She said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. Absolutely blind. One minute seeing, next minute totally blind. Then something happened on the day of Pentecost. His eyes opened. He was filled with the Spirit. His eyes opened. And a simple man could look at the book of Joel, look at two Psalms, and see an incredible message of salvation. Like, you and I, if our eyes weren't open, wouldn't use text. He said, my God, this is the first time the gospel is going to be preached. What text should I use? No, what should I know? Maybe I should use Isaiah 18, 17 and 18, 19. I will contend with you. Come, let us reason together. Nothing. This is the soulish man. The man and the soul will look through and says, which, which will appeal to the mind of man? The spiritual man is not looking at the soul of man. He is looking, God, what do you want me to speak? What do you want me to speak? Because your words are life. You pick the words for me. Which is, Spirit said, Book of Joel, this psalm, this psalm, that's it. Finished. 3,000 people are cut to the heart. They are on their knees crying and they get baptized. The church is born. But he still had problems. He needed constant correction in his vision. You have to understand. But he is a man who receives correction. We will see later, God gives him a vision. 
And it was at noon time. So it is a vision. He was in a trance. And I will say he was in a trance. And what did he see? Acts chapter 10. I saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and led down to the earth. And in it were all the all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, not so Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. You see, God had to speak to him three times before his eyes opened. Now today, people will read this and go go, go back to the beginning. People will go to verse number 12. Hallelujah, the book of Leviticus is removed for me. Lord, I can eat shrimp, I can eat crocodile, I can eat alligator, I can eat snake, I can eat everything. You see the same man reads the same verse and see interprets it completely differently. He sees not with his eyes, he sees with his belly. Three times before he could see. Three times God had to repeat to Peter. And then Peter caught on. Immediately vision is over. Three men come from Cornelius and Peter was astonished. Astonished when he heard the report and he received the correction. Listen to what he says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. He says, Oh my gosh, that vision had nothing to do with animals. It had to do with people. It had to do with people. God is not a respecter of persons. Anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus who longs for redemption, God will receive him. He is ready for correction. He receives correction. And we need to constantly, like your iOS on your Apple phone or whatever, have to keep on updating your software according to the word of God. Be up to date with the word of God. Don't work on old software. Then suddenly one day you will get a message saying your system will no longer work. You are outdated. Why? Because we got saved and we saw ministries and we decided this is the whole of salvation. Scripture says no. Anyone who comes to him, he can save them to the uttermost. To the uttermost. He saves us to the uttermost. Therefore, there is a constant course correction as we go on so that we see more and more and more clearly. A little later, again he needed correction. This time God will correct him not directly through a vision. He will correct him through a younger man. A younger minister. He will correct this older apostle. You will see it in Galatians chapter 2. Now, Peter had come to Antioch. I withstood him to his face. Who? Apostle Paul, who came to the Lord much, much later, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, that's from Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles who were believers. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Did you see? Now what he is doing is a total contradiction of what he saw. There he confessed, oh, God is not partial. He's not a respecter person. He accepts people from every. But suddenly he's separating from those whom God has accepted. Fearing those who are off. And the rest of the Jews, yeah, 
also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You see? Wait a second here. Your sight is failing. Losing your sight. Still there. Till down today. Anywhere in India you go, you will still see. You go to Kerala, you go to Hyderabad. Anywhere. In Kerala, when I grew up, there is one street. MG Road. Two churches. Both same denomination. Only thing here, they will say we are of Syrian heritage. This is converts. Same church. They won't even marry among themselves. When I go to North India, when I have gone to North India, I have gone to the special Kerala churches, are there Syrian churches? And the first question I have asked them is, do you have a single convert here? They will say no. I said, what are you doing here? You won't accept converts. You won't accept converts. Because you want to look at your Brahmanical roots, so you won't accept a convert. You are blind. You don't see. You're blind. You don't see. You have here also Reddy Christians, Rao Christians, Naidu Christians, Chaudhary Christians. How can you be a Chaudhary and a Christian? It's a contradiction. You can't be. In Christ there is nothing. It's all gone. It's nothing. That's why I say, when the marriage proposal comes, you will know your faith. You understood what I said, right? At every point, Peter had two choices. Get offended or accept correction. That's not the way I was brought up. Who do you think you are to correct me? There are so many touches in that third stage. But this is actually where we struggle, we fail. David was a man who accepted correction. All his life. Be like David. In Psalm 119, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went straight. Now I keep your word. You afflicted me. And I need, realize I need to make corrections in my life. Philippians 1.6 will say, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. If we are the generation who will see the second coming of Jesus Christ, is until the day he comes, there is a work that is going on. But it is not done overruling anybody's will. It has to be a life to which we surrender individually to be corrected by God directly or whomever God chooses to correct us through. It's a life of correction and obedience. In Isaiah 1, 19 and 20, this is what God said. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the Old Testament, good of the land. New Testament, the very life Jesus came to give us. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. We all have these two choices. 
Accept correction, keep on changing. We'll see more and more and more and more and more and more clearly, absolutely clearly the spiritual reality. That's why we study the word of God and look at the reactions of these people. Like, you know, Paul and, you know, it's so often repeated, it has become, shouldn't become anything other than what it is, scripture. Paul and Silas does an incredible ministry, delivers a girl, is stripped naked, beaten, thrown in the prison. How do they react? How do they react? They're singing, they're praising, they're worshipping. In the midnight hour, sitting in a stinky, dirty Roman prison. Why? Why? How many servants of God who, if you go through a fraction of that today, react like that? Why? Spiritual reality. How they saw and how we see. Today, persecution itself is being used to raise money. I've seen many who raise money through persecution. These are the lessons we learn as we go through the Gospels. We are all deaf, blind, mute, lame, without Christ. The people who brought him thought, oh, he is blind, he needs help. We can see. Jesus, please help him. That's how so many people will call us and say, Pastor, please pray for him, he is struggling. What about you? At least he comes regularly to church. I haven't seen you for two weeks. You are calling for prayer for him. At least he knows he is blind. You think you see. Do we hear? Do we see? Increasingly? In Revelation 2, 7, 7 times. He who has the ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we hear? Now God is talking about hearing. 7 times over and over and over to all the churches God will say. Do we have ears? Yes. But do we hear? Do we speak? Do we know how to speak? Isaiah 54 says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. You see, what is the Bible talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Jesus did not talk. He spoke. And when he spoke, it was life. How did he learn to speak life? Because he learned to hear. He learned to hear from his father, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he learned to speak. It's a spiritual reality. Unless we learn to listen to God, we only talk, we don't speak. Jesus spoke. Either people got mad or they got became glad. Either people left or people said, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. So we see this played out over and over in the Gospels. We see this played out in the Gospels. In another instance, we're just looking at Mark. In another instance, Mark chapter 7, 32 to 35, please. Again, another man. Okay, okay. 
There some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hand on the man after he took him aside. Same scenario. A set of people who can hear, who can talk, thinks this man cannot hear and this man cannot talk. So they said, you need help. Let us take you to Jesus. Jesus separated him from them. Took him aside. Away from the crowd. Since Jesus sees our hearts. Jesus sees through people. Jesus sees. Separated him from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh. And said, Ephatha, which means be open. At this the man's ears were open. His tongue was loosened. And he began to speak. Plainly. You see, unless Jesus touches us, we too will not hear. Unless he touches our tongue, we too will not know how to speak. Here again, Jesus takes him from the crowd and ministers to him one on one. Simple lesson. If you want to see, If you want to hear, if you want to speak, you have to allow God to minister to you one-on-one. You have to spend time with God. We learn as a corporate, as a body, but you have to encounter God because it's a God who comes to meet individuals. He ministers to people one-on-one. And don't be offended by how He ministers to you. Don't be offended how he ministers to you. That's why the first blessing in the Bible, in the new covenant, not the old covenant. First blessing in the new covenant. Blessed are the poor. We are poor. Remember the old example I gave you? Nowadays you can't see them also. God Makesia very nicely has rehabilitated all the beggars. It's very good. He's done a good job. He's taken all the beggars and put them. But before that, remember the beggars? If you ever met real beggars, desperate beggars, they don't care what you give them. Do they say, you know, I, is it today's cooking? Do they ask you? Do they ask you where is that plate? Do they ask you? If you give them some cloth, do you ask, do they turn and look at the brand? You know what a beggar means? A beggar is a man who will receive anything. That's why he's a beggar. Right? He's not offended by what you give him. Because he's desperate. Blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. They are not offended how God deals with them. He's bad. And took the spittle, put it on his tongue. He was not offended. He's bad. Put it on the other guy's eyes. He was not offended. Naman was offended. He came with his entourage and stood there and said, Tell the prophet. The prophet didn't come out. He sent his servant and said, tell him, go wash in River Jordan seven times. He was offended. He said, I thought this man would come and take a rod and wave it like that and my leprosy. Offended. Are you offended the way God deals with you? Are we offended? This man was not offended. The other man was not offended. They were not offended. When he touched... In seven, he touched 
the man's tongue with spittle. In the other case, in 8.23, he spat. He had spit on the man's eyes. Imagine. You go, let's say a lady in your 20,000 rupee pattu sari for a healing service and the pastor takes you What would you do? What would you do? See, we don't realize, actually we cannot see. We are not desperate yet. We are not desperate yet. We are not desperate for sight yet. We are satisfied with our Bible studies. We are not desperate for sight. We are satisfied that we hear through other men of God and through WhatsApp and YouTube and all. We are not desperate enough that our ears open that we hear from God what is happening now. What's happening now? That's why people are so casual. So casual, they have no clue what's happening. They're so casual. That's what Jesus talks about. When he talks about the last days, what did the last days? He said like Lord's days and like Noah's days. What is that? They ate, they drank, they planted, they harvested, they built, they gave in marriage, they got married. What's wrong with that? They were absolutely blind to the reality of judgment was knocking at the door. They didn't see, they didn't hear, they didn't walk. They didn't speak, they didn't warn. Lord did not warn anybody. And the last hour when he warned, scripture says his sons in laws laughed at him. <laughs> what a dude, you're talking about judgment. If you're judgment, then why are you living among us? You see what Jesus is trying to say? Why he moves the desperate from that group who think they see but actually don't see? Who think they hear but actually don't hear? Who think they speak but actually cannot speak? Moses. God understands our pain. In Mark 7 and verse 24, he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh. Looks at that, he sighs. Deep sigh. Jesus was a man acquainted with grief. He groans. The same word in the Bible is translated as he groaned. Lazarus' grave, he will groan. Why is he groaning? We are going to do your, your greatest miracle. Man who's been dead for four days is going to come out. You were dead for three days, you will come out. This man has been dead for four days, you will bring him out. This is your great miracle. Why are you groaning? Because many will die and not rise up. Did we see that? He's standing before his greatest Miracle he's going to do. And he groans and he weeps. He cries. Because he knows this is the reality, spiritual reality. Most will not rise. They will rise for the second death of judgment. He groans. Here he groans. Why is he groaning? Because he knows most will not hear. They will be caught. Like Lord's generation was caught. Noah's generation was caught. 
Nothing opened their eyes. Before their eyes, this whole thing is being built. And it is finished. An ark in the middle of nowhere. They have never seen thunder, rain, flood, judgment, nothing. And right before their eyes, a man has persevered for 100 years, 120 years, built. Not only that, from every corner of the world, incredible strange animals have come. Two by two. Not only do they come by two by two, they have all entered into the ark. That should make you think there is something happening here. Even you hear about people saying, oh, the rats are fleeing, the horses are fleeing. They'll say, earthquake is coming because animals sense it. The animals got in, not a single human being to whom he preached. Why? They did not see, they did not hear, and they were blind. Still God was merciful, left the door open for seven more days. Nobody came in. Noah and his family are in. Then finally God, scripture says, shut the door. Judgment began. Then everybody believed. God says, do we see? Christ wants to lead us from the unbelieving crowd to himself. He wants to restore our sight. He wants to open our ears. He wants to loosen our tongues so that we may behold His glory. So that we may hear the voice of His Spirit. So that we may declare His praises. So where do we stand today? It's a close. Last five minutes. Let's once again look at Mark 8, 22 and 23. 8. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought him a blind man to him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out. Took him out of Bethsaida. See, if you ask and you read accounts of people who have gone to the Holy Land, they will saw about thriving cities in Jerusalem or bustling towns in the Palestinian area, Jericho and Bethlehem and Jerusalem and all these places. And they will say, two cities you go, they are no longer cities, they are just ruins. And they don't realize why these two cities are still ruins. It's, it's Nothing has happened in those cities. One is Bethsheda, the other is Capernaum. Luke chapter 10, Jesus will tell. 10. 13 and 15. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? 13, first 13, please, yeah. 13 and 15. Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles were performed in you, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And verse 15, woe to you, Capernaum. Capernaum represents Unbelief in spite of all the works of God done. God takes him and brings him out of Bethsheda. They say, you go to Bethsheda today, it's ruins. Capernaum, ruins. Because he said, woe to you. The very son of God came here, preached to you, did all these things, but you still won't believe. Still won't believe. These were cities of unbelief. Though many of his miracles and his preachings were done there. These cities rejected his message. Therefore they lie in ruins. It is dangerous for a city or for a person to reject the word of Jesus. 
It's dangerous to reject. That's why we look into scripture. I have googled all these things. I've never gone there. I've googled to see, is this real? And I saw it's real. The ruins. You type in Capernaum and images, all that comes is ruins. 250 or 300 million trees after Jews returned back to the promised land in the last 70, 80, 100 years. They have made a desert bloom. It's green. They have planted and planted and planted and all kind of drip irrigation, everything. But one place, you go, it's still like a patch of desert. Nothing grows there. What is it? Gilbo. Why? David in his grief when he heard Saul and Jonathan were dead, he cried and said, Oh Gilbo, no dew on you, no rain on you, you will never bring anything out green, you will be dry till today. It's dry. When you see these things and you say, Oh my gosh, word of God is real. Word of God is real. This is real. There are no jokes here. There are no jokes here. This is a real book. This is a living book. And it has not lost its power. Maybe David spoke this 3,000 years ago. Or Jesus spoke this 2,000 years ago. It's still valid. Because the word of God is living. That's why the prophecy about Jesus, Isaiah, final word for today. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in wilderness and streams in the desert. This is the reality. The spiritual reality of what? When your eyes have been opened, your ears have been opened, and you are going further and further because you are fascinated by this person of Christ. The tongue is loosened. Tongue is loosened. Your tongue is loosened. Your tongue is loosened. You speak. And what is happening? You are leaping like a deer. How does Malachi end the Old Testament? The son of righteousness shall rise with healing under his wings. And you shall go out like what? Like calves fed in the stalls, leaping. He says, in your outer body may be perishing, your inner man, you're no longer walking, you are tripping. Because you know, this is a kingdom, and you are part of the kingdom, and you're only growing in the kingdom. So you can look at all the terrible things you have gone through, unbelievable terrible things, and turn around and tell us what does Paul says? Momentary affliction in the weight of glory that I see. Momentary. How many years? I don't know. How many beatings? I don't know. What all have you gone through? I have no clue. What do you, how do you look at that? Momentary. Why? I see another reality. Weight of glory. Why? My eyes see. My ears hear. And therefore I cannot stop singing his praises. And I cannot walk anymore. Though I am old, my knees hurt and my joints creak. That's what you see. Inside I'm leaping. Inside I'm leaping. Isn't that what Habakkuk says? Everything is gone. 
The fields are dry, the stalls are dry, everything is dry. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God and he shall make my feet like the feet of the hind, the deer. And I shall continue to climb in high places. My physical reality doesn't matter because I live in another reality, the reality of the spirit. And that's true. That's true. And I will keep on climbing, climbing, climbing. Because if you go to the mountains and you see the mountain deer, sharp jagged edges, they will jump, 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 and they will go. Where we will fall and break our head, you will go. So that's what you say. The physical reality, all jagged edges of life. But you know spiritually, I am just climbing closer and closer and closer. I am not offended. I am not upset. I am not mad. I am glad because through it all, he is drawing me closer to him. That's a walk. That's what God is calling us. And it's a daily walk. So this night as we close, don't let, don't this Lent and Good Friday and Easter and all become another routine ritual. It's all got no meaning unless it's an inward reality. There's no meaning. All those symbols, all that is over. Now we live in a different reality. Reality of a resurrected Christ. Live in that reality. Each day, one-on-one with God. Corporately, yes, we do all that. Yes. But there is a one-on-one encounter with the living Jesus every day. When you have met Him, you will know you have met Him. Because you cannot meet Him and remain the same. The blind man saw, the deaf man heard, the mute man spoke, the lame man walked. Why? Because they met Jesus. They met Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you will know. Others will know. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. Help us, O Lord, continuously to see the depth, the height and the width of your salvation. Help us not to restrain it to what we see with our physical eyes, O Lord. Open the eyes of our heart, as Paul prayed, O Lord, in his epistle to the Ephesians, O Lord. Open the eyes of our heart, that we might see this incredible, exceeding glory, the knowledge of God, the revelation of God. Open, Lord. All these things come. Help us not to be discouraged. Help us not to be dismayed. Help us to see beyond it. To know you are only leading us further and closer to you. I pray during this season as the church fasts and the church prays. Be a time of drawing close to you, Lord. To our ears be open. Eyes be opened, our tongues be loosened, and in our inner man, we hear, we see, and we cannot stop singing your praises. For you not only brought us from darkness into light, you are forever leading us further and further into your glorious light. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us here safely. Take us home all safely, Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Forever and ever, O Lord. 
Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.